0: That's Bar Heads. Dearly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of being here this evening. Just gathering together as family, Father, what an incredible privilege this is, Father. There's just so much awfulness in this world at the hands, the yoke of the God of this world, Father. We're just so pleased and so blessed to be here On an evening like this, about to study the word of truth, truth that sets us free, Father. What an incredible blessing this is. We pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this evening for a variety of reasons. And we pray also for those in this world that are still lost, without hope, that before it's too late, they be humbled and receive saving faith, Father, We are most grateful, of course, for your Son's work, our Lord and Savior's work on the cross 2,000 years ago to give us this moment of hope and rejoicing and love. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 23 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Um, a key principle from Sunday's message up here on the board, commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. And as a side note, uh, this is why religion doesn't work. It's because it's void of faith in God. Um, Rather, it's a profound show of faith in self. That's why religion doesn't work. It's because the faith is all wrong. Commands, the commands in the Bible, require godly faith for obedience to have its intended result. Um, For example, up here on the board, I gave you this analog to think about on Sunday Sunday. And it's just a picture of a person on top of a bridge. Um, if God says jump, if God says jump, and you can think of the analog in the spiritual life uh, when you're atop, when you're on the precipice of something that's scary, maybe a situation or what have you. When God says jump, then. The idea is that you obey, and with perfect faith, you jump. What you don't do is engineer a solution, you know, to get off the bridge some other way, and say, hey, I'll meet you at the bottom. I'll meet you in the ravine. I'm, I don't have the faith to jump. I'm going to engineer another way off of this bridge. And somehow I'll get to the ravine, supposedly. That's like religion. So the idea, again, is to obey, to simply jump as a function of faith. As the Spirit has reiterated over this past month or so, the ends does not justify the means. If God says, jump, as in I want you to go from the top of this bridge to the bottom of the ravine, unless I catch you or whatever I'm going to do with you, I just want you to trust me. Um, you don't have the right as a believer to manufacture something and call it a holy thing just because somehow you can manage to, you know, cascade your way down through the woods and everything else to get to the, the point that you would land on if you just jumped. And that's why counterfeit religion is garbage. It says, you know, in summary. Okay, you want me to finish this list of to-dos here? These are the commands, in other words, I see. Okay, I'll complete the tasks set before me. I'll see you at the finish line, or I'll see you at the bottom of the ravine, Lord. Meanwhile, God's saying, no, I want you to take the leap of faith I've asked you to take. In other words, I'm the one who put you there on purpose, for a purpose, for a reason so that I could ask this question of you, so I could put your faith to the test. You see, if you're not up there, if you know you're two feet off of the ravine and you go, oh, look at that. I I took a leap of faith. What good is that? He says, no, climb to the highest spot and then jump. Then we'll talk about how wonderful your faith is up here on the board god's view on religion and i'm just summarizing this isn't god obviously this is just me summarizing what i see in the bible the end goal quote he might say something like this quote the end goal is blessing for you how you get there matters to me because it is by my grace that you are able to accomplish such a thing Your faith, then, is on full display, my child. That's the whole point. God doesn't want you just to get from point A to point B. He wants you to go through the process. Because he says, go in that direction. Well, it takes faith to go in that direction. It takes a certain obedience to follow his command. He doesn't just say, go to point B. I don't care how you get there. Lie, cheat, steal, concoct, engineer, your own, whatever. He, does, he never says that. He says you have to do that thing with integrity to my word. That's why I give you my word. So you know when I ask you to do something that you do it the right way. You understand? That you do it the right way. And so this is just a synopsis. You know The end goal is blessing for you. How you get there matters to me, because it is by my grace that you are able to accomplish such a thing. Your faith is on full display. To our previous point, commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. The issue, as we've been learning, is fear. Fear. Why go through the trouble of religion? Why go through the trouble of manufacturing your own solution to a problem God has fully intended on solving for you? Why do that thing? Fear. So fear really is synonymous in this context with lack of faith, and that's according to the Bible. Now, to be fair, so people aren't, you know, whenever I teach about faith, people get really convicted. Like, oh, man, my faith is just terrible. And they walk away with their head down, and they're like, oh, it's true, I'm afraid of my own shadow. Uh, obviously, I just, I just lack faith. Um, it's nothing necessarily to be all downtrodden about, to be honest. Because the truth is, we all fear as a result of the human condition. We all fear something. Um... Think about it this way. We are born without faith. Remember? We're born without this faith that delivers. At salvation, we are given faith by the grace of God, but it's hardly perfect or mature. It's still lacking. As we are sanctified by the grace of God our faith increases. Um, And as our faith increases, our fear dissipates. So faith goes up, fear goes down, as we're sanctified. That's the way it goes. So please don't feel especially disappointed in yourself, as that would only complicate matters. The idea, as always, is to humbly accept things as they are. Just say, yeah, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm afraid. I know what you're asking me to do right now, and I'm afraid I really want to go the other route. I'm afraid. You know, he can work with that. Because God gives grace to who? He can work with that. He can't work with, "I'm not afraid.
1: I'm not afraid of anything."
0: you know. He can't work with that because it's arrogance. He's opposed to that. You are born with a frail constitution. Even after salvation, you're not perfected yet. up here on the board, an old friend of ours, look at Part B especially. First John 4:18. There is no fear in love. Look, I have 1 John 4.18a, but I say, look at part B. You catching that? Huh? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. A, A perfect or a matured love, you know, an abiding faith, if you would. Those are all synonyms. It casts out Fear. And so what the Bible teaches us is that there's a mutual exclusiveness between fear and love. Almost as if they exist in two different spheres of existence. Sound familiar? Two different economies even. Fear and love are mutually exclusive. Fear exists in the sphere of death and love and obedience in the sphere of God. Fear exists in the sphere of death And love and obedience in the sphere of God, since after salvation we suffer the vestiges of sin. That just means the remnants, as leftovers, we're dealing with it. The vestiges of sin, we experience fear. We experience fear, and therefore, to our point, to our key point, disobedience. In other words, what's the what's the main tactic? That's able to derail us. For on that pathway that leads to life, right? freedom, life, goodness, blessing, what typically knocks us off, what typically derails us? fear. When we derail, the, the, the end result is disobedience, because he's saying, "Go this way, but you're not going that way." That's disobedience by definition, right? To disobey the will of God, which is sin. But what is the impetus? Like, what, what pushes you off? Fear. So fear leads to disobedience. And whatever, to whatever degree uh, we've been sanctified, to that degree we are delivered from fear uh, and into, uh, unto love, or just the opposite. Now, back to our instigating principle up here on the board. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Now, if we think about the dynamics of life, um, your enemies don't want you to be obedient because, as the Spirit pointed out earlier, this means blessings for you and glory to God. When he says jump by means of faith, you're blessed, he's glorified. You're graced out, He's glorified, and even the angels cheer. Your enemies don't want that. In fact, the God of this world specializes in disobedience and sowing discord among God's elect. And you know what? He uses fear as a primary component of that strategy. How does he get you to disobey? We just talked about that. If obedience is this way, if obedience is obeying the command to go forward towards Christ, and you derail, that's disobedience, what typically knocks you off? Fear. So fear is one of the primary components of Satan's strategy to get you to disobey the will of God. All you have to do uh, when you think about this All you have to do is an honest assessment of this world we live in um, to to realize that fear is the primary component, or at least a primary, if not the primary. All you have to do is look at the world you live in. Look around. Um, His fingerprints are everywhere. Fear is the device the kingdom of darkness uses to get you to invest in Satan's economy even. For example, watch a TV commercial, almost any one of them, and you're stricken with fear. Some of you are like, what? It was a soap commercial. I know. It was a Disney commercial. Mm-hmm. It was a commercial about a kitten. I know. Always, you're stricken with fear. You might say, no way, though. All right, so you want to be that way about it? Why do you spend inordinate amounts of money on brand alone? That's a fair question. Why do you spend inordinate amounts of money on brand alone? You know what what I mean by brand? Like product? I mean, why would anyone spend 10 or even 100 times, and this is not an exaggeration in some situations, 100 times the amount of money on a product just because of the logo on it? Why would anyone do that? It certainly doesn't change the function or the nature of the product, the core value of the product itself. The only reason is because there's a logo on it. Why would anybody do that? Fear. Fear of comparing less favorably to their neighbor. That's it. On a different note, why would some guy buy a touch of gray hair dye? Ask John, ask John. I don't know. Why does he do it? He should be totally white, but look at see how he's got that little thing going on in there? He's got his little comb. (laughs) No, for real. Why why why? Is God's word not enough encouragement for him? Go to Proverbs sixteen thirty one. Proverbs sixteen thirty one. Why? 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 That's a fair question. And all we're doing right now is a survey. We're just being honest. Look around. You know, watch a commercial. Think about your own life. Okay? Why would anybody buy hair dye, right? Uh, Proverbs 16, 31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. Gray hair is a crown of glory it is gained in a righteous life. Okay. The Bible clearly states that gray hair is a crown of glory. A good thing in other words. Do you agree? That, that it, at least the Bible's saying that gray hair is a good thing. Certainly not a bad thing certainly not, something good and what all good things come from God. And so gray hair is a good thing okay well apparently it's not good enough for a lot of people both men and women who dye their hair apparently it's not good enough do you understand what's the issue lack of faith which as we noted earlier produces fear and in this case its fear of being judged by others as less favorable than the neighbors that's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. We don't have time to get into this right now, but suffice to say, go to Luke 12, 5. Luke 12, verse 5. And don't be all condemned because you put dye in your hair. Please get over yourself. Right? There are bigger fish to fry. It's just a point, it's a principle, right? It's just a way of saying, hey, listen, you're just as bad as anybody else on this fear thing. Crap, you're, you're afraid of your own hair, right? <laughs> I mean, right? Is that fair? You're afraid of your own hair going gray, because of the, why? It's foolishness, right? I mean, just shave it off like me. You don't have to worry about it. Just grow a little gray patch right here, and you're all good, right? Luke 12:5. but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Is that some kind of a scare tactic from Jesus? <laughs> I guess in some ways, but not really. Not in the context of what the Spirit's trying to say this evening. Not really. In fact, it's encouragement that leads to blessing. Go to Proverbs fourteen twenty-seven. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven. Jesus said, "Fear him, fear God. Don't worry about your neighbors making fun of you because you've got gray hair. Come on, right? Come on, really?" Proverbs fourteen twenty seven. This is you know when Jesus said, "Fear him," it was it was a form of encouragement for us. That's the point. Fear Him. Well, look at Proverbs fourteen twenty seven 27 says, it says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. In other words, abide in the sphere of life, in goodness, in freedom, as opposed to the sphere of death, where there's bondage and fear and anxiety and blah, 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 right? The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. What is he saying? He's saying, well, in a very small way, if you let go of that fear of your hair, you'd be that much more free. That's all he's saying. That that fear is not for me. I say that gray hair is a good thing. You obviously say it isn't. Well, who's in bondage, me or you? (laughs) There you go. So, again, I'm not picking on people who dye their hair. I mean, not, not harshly anyways, right? I mean, it is what it is. I'm just making a point. It does reveal a certain lack of faith for the simple fact that God himself ordained gray hair as a crown of glory. Okay? So, you see, it doesn't take long to look around you and see all the fear-based activities blanketing the world we live in. It's indicative you understand, if you take it as a collective, you just say, all right, all right, so, all right, so this is a little something over here with people's hair, okay, whatever. But if you take it all together and say, what is the overarching trend here? Like, what, is all, what does it all add up to? Because all those little things add up, right? Eventually, specks of sand can fill a jar up, right? Eventually, all the little fears come amount to something big, something real. All you have to do is look around. It's indicative of the absence of faith in God. So to our previous point, the kingdom of darkness uses fear as a primary lever to sow disobedience in this world. To sow disobedience, okay? Now, I'll reflect on this for a moment. I was thinking about this, and obviously the Spirit wants you to think about it as well. For the record... The kingdom of darkness is smart enough not to sow fear through what I have here in my notes, boogeymen, like boo, you know, scary things. The kingdom of darkness is much smarter than that, right? Um, It sows the most insidious kind of fear, that kind that eats away at your innards while you sleep even. The worst kind of fear to deal with is this, let's call it institutionalized fear that's in your system of thinking even that's precipitated from what you think to be true. In other words, the kingdom of darkness instills false thinking in us on the premise that it's actually, quote, good for us. You say, well, how do I get this fear? Like, I never thought of, you know, coloring my hair that way. I don't know. I never thought it was, you know, fear. But now you know it is. You're fearful of something. You lack faith in something. Um, Why? Well, if you dig deep enough, you realize that you have some false thinking. You've, You've adopted some kind of a lie. It's as simple as that. Somewhere along the line, probably when you were a little girl or a little boy, um, you know, and Hollywood kept projecting up, you know, 105-year-old women with brown hair, and look how beautiful they've aged, right? And it's like, okay, come on. And if you really want beauty, you'll look like Cindy Crawford does when she's, I don't know, was she, like 60 now or something like that, and she still has brown hair, not even one thread of gray, this kind of a thing. You know, because that's what real beauty is. Beauty is, you know, faking your youth, even, instead of embracing what the Bible says about gray hair. Right? So somewhere along the line, the kingdom of darkness has instilled false thinking in us and told us it was good thinking, though. You know, garbage, like, even like we've been studying as of late, the love of money, that's a good thing. Like, uh, what was that guy from... Kirk Douglas, or Michael Douglas, you know, greed is good. Remember he played that Wall Street guy in that movie? Not that I've ever watched a movie because I'm holy. (laughs) Right? Greed is good. Right? It's this famous line from, I think it was Wall Street or something like that. Yeah, the love of money, like it's a good thing. The love of money is a good thing? Really? That's not what the Bible says. Or the love of beauty. Why is everybody so obsessed over beauty? What is beauty anyways? It's completely perverted, at least in America or even what the Spirit has been, for some reason, pouncing on as of late, the romantic love of, of others, even if they're unbelievers. That that's okay. That that's legitimatized because the emotion is there. All that garbage, right? It doesn't matter. You can have sex outside of, as long as you what? Love each other. Isn't that what mothers even tell their daughters nowadays? Oh, and, here, and by the way, here's, here's the pill or here's a condom. Just be safe, sweetie. Those are all lies from the pit of hell. To sow what? Fear. Up here on the board, just so you know, this week's blog is titled, Whom Do You Turn To For Love? Whom Do You Turn To For Love? And whatever it is, the principle is that if you fear it and it's not from God, then its roots are from a lack of faith. Its roots are from a lack of faith. And it's this lack of faith, as we've been studying, that leads you away from obedience and towards disobedience. So don't be fooled by this so-called good peddled by the world. No, 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 it's good. If it feels good, then it's good, right? Isn't that the garbage? Isn't that what it's all about nowadays in this world? Yeah. If it feels right, then it must be right. And if it feels wrong, it must be wrong. The Bible never says that. Go to 2 Corinthians 11, 14. Unless that feeling is tightly wound with the word of truth. If the, unless the word of truth is integral to that feeling, in other words, you see? But don't be fooled by the, quote, good peddled by the world. 2 Corinthians 11.14. Friendly little reminder. 2 Corinthians 11.14. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Don't be surprised. <laughs> Satan's not dumb. He doesn't, he doesn't show up to the party to seduce you in a boogeyman outfit. He shows up like Fabio, whatever the heck, whatever. Right? Or Cindy Crawford. I don't know. I'm old. Right? Those are the people back in my day. Right? Whatever. He doesn't show up scary. He doesn't send scary people into your life to seduce you. He sends attractive people, but they're his agencies. They're his agents, you see. Please be especially aware of the fact that people are often Satan's greatest agency. People which is why the Bible adamantly opposes we believers getting involved with unbelievers at any level that sows discord in our souls. And the perfect example is romance. The perfect example is romance. So take some time. Romance isn't the only one, but it's the easiest one because it's the most common one that I see in ministry take some time tonight after service and contemplate all the ways in which the kingdom of darkness sows discord in the body of Christ. Don't even worry about, you know, the general population. Don't say, "Oh man, those unbelievers are so wretched." No, I'm talking about the body of Christ. How does the kingdom of darkness do that thing? How does it sow that kind of or that level of discord so that you got a bunch of scared, anxious Christians out there How does it do it? Okay, And then for each case that you identify, see if you can identify the object of fear, because it's certainly there. See if you can identify the object of fear, like I did with the hair example. Fear of being judged lesser than your neighbor, that whole thing. What you'll begin to realize is that fear Really is the favored device for leading people astray from the faith. It really is the impetus for disobedience, then. And based on our key principle, this disobedience thwarts God's intended plan for his children. Up here on the board commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. That's our principle it's required here's some additional encouragement on this go to ephesians 2 verse 1 ephesians 2 verse 1 ephesians 2 verse 1 so just some additional encouragement ephesians 2 Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, you were wholly enveloped in the sphere of death. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, that's all they know. Anti-God, anti-Christ, right? The sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, the Bible calls the attacks on us um, fiery darts. Fiery darts, and as I mentioned earlier, they're not scary. It's not a fiery dart. If, it, you know, if someone says, hey, here's a really big dart, I'm going to whip it at you, right? You're going to be like, I'm out of here. But if they say, oh, check out this little Nerf ball, right? <laughs> You'd be like, right? You see what I'm saying? They're not going to, the, the, the kingdom of Doctors doesn't throw, like, scary darts at you. They they throw little soft, fuzzy little things at you, right? Up here on the board. Fiery darts are are from our enemies are intended to fracture our faith. The kingdom of darkness has a whatever-it-takes attitude. Let's put it that way. A fiery dart might be a simple, you know, false promise made to you by an agency of the kingdom of darkness. Sweetie, I'll take care of you. Mister, I'll take care of you. I know I'm an unbeliever and you're a believer. I'm going to lie to your face. But I'm going to take care of you. You understand what I'm getting at? And then I'll, like, you, oh, is that nice? Someone going to take care of me. Right? That's a false promise made to you by the kingdom of darkness. Again, it will look good on the outside, quote unquote, but it is meant to inject false doctrine into you like an evil syringe. False promises, I was thinking about that. It's like, a, you ever get a topical anesthetic? You know, they do it at the dentist now before you get shots in the gums, which kills. They'll like put a little cotton swab in there with the topical anesthetic so that you don't feel the needle. You know, that's a false promise. That has a way of sort of, um numbing the area before the needle pokes through the skin, you know, to get past your defenses. That's what a false promise will do. It it numbs the surface, your defensive infrastructure, right? That's what a false promise. And once past your defenses, it does what it really came to do. It'll implant false thinking that is designed to take you away from God. In other words, so that you become disobedient, like the sons of disobedience, whom they represent, by the way, that we just read about in Ephesians 2. Speaking of the sons of disobedience and their influence in our lives, let's read another passage from Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. What about the sons of disobedience? Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And just a note here, we are talking about natures here. This passage doesn't mean that if you told a dirty joke yesterday that you're going to hell. Okay? Just saying. Verse 7. This is important, verse 7. You see it? Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not, do not become intimate with an unbeliever that way. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Where it becomes a problem for your faith. I'm not talking about familial love. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where somehow you let them in. You let them to a place in you that they should not be, because it's in that place that they're able to make you stumble. That's the point. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In verse 11... Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And it's fair to say that the the best place to start is with yourself. Expose darkness in yourself. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now that's all I'm going to do with you uh, right now on that. but exposing uh, the unfruitful works of darkness is uh, definitely something we need to pay attention to. So if an unbeliever, think of it this way, if an unbeliever is currently attempting to ingratiate themselves to you, you've got to step back and see it for what it truly is. Let me say that again. If an unbeliever is currently trying to ingratiate themselves to you, You have to step back and see it for what it truly is. It's a fiery dart. It's an attack from the kingdom of darkness. It's an attack. Why all this effort? Because what's up on the board already. Fiery darts from our enemies are intended to fracture our faith. As the Spirit mentioned earlier, these fiery darts aren't frontal assaults, you understand, that cause immediate pain and are therefore easily identified. Not at all. Fiery darts have the intended result of making you stumble. Here's another analog for you. Now, some of you, I'm sorry if this doesn't make any sense to you, but I remember this, Okay, I remember watching TV when I was young. And a good, you know, there's always the good guy, bad guy, right? Even in cartoons. But even like Three Stooges, there's all these little skits, right? There's a good guy and a bad guy. And say they got into like a, you know, they're like we're going to settle this like men. And then they get into, a, you know, fisticuffs or in a boxing ring or something foolish, right? To settle something fair and square. But the bad guy has this pretty little girlfriend that like, you know, purposely flirts with the good guy while he's in the ring, you know, she's like, and he's like turning sideways, and then the bad guy punch, punches him out and knocks him out. And what do you say? You say, that's not fair. That's not fair fighting. The bad guy used his girlfriend to distract the good guy so he could punch him when he wasn't looking. Duh. What, what do you think happens in real life? Our enemies don't fight fair. It's that simple. They don't fight fair. Similar or the same with fiery darts. The first one is meant to distract you, but it's the second one that carries the payload. Does that make sense? The first one might be an empty promise to get by your defenses. It's the second one that carries the payload. I love you. Really? Let's have sex. Boom, done, you're ruined, you're screwed. Oh, no no pun intended. You're in trouble. Right, I just just destroyed your soul before you even got married. I took your virtue, I don't care. I threw it in the garbage, because that's all I wanted anyways. All I had to do was lie a little bit up front. Promise to you that I love you. Three little words. I got what I wanted. See ya. What was the payload? You know what it was. Hence the following warning up here on the board, Ephesians 6:11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. You are not otherwise. Do you understand? That you may be able. You see, a lot of people will be like, "Oh, I get it. Put on the whole armor of God to stand against the schemes of the of the devil." And you miss that incredibly important. Four, a five-word phrase. That's the key to the phrase. The other things are the logistics. Those, that's the technicalities, right? It's that you may be able. Because you know what? You're not able to otherwise. That's the whole point. You're not able without him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You're not able. In other words, if, you, if, 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 you, if you're scared and you run off the path, you're weak. You're not able over there. He says, I can help you here. But if you run away from me, you're running away from the power system that's able to deliver you. You're not able. And Satan in the kingdom of darkness knows that. But you see, they don't have the power necessarily just to push you off the the, the track. They don't have the power to derail you physically. They have to seduce you. With your own free will, you have to make those decisions. They have to seduce you. So now all of a sudden they are able to drop that payload on you, to implant that false doctrine in you so that you... Stumble along for a while in fear, struggling why it is you have all kinds of anxiety and worry and fear in your life. And you find out later on, with, after a message like this, it's because you bought a lie. Somewhere along the lines, you bought a lie from the kingdom of darkness. Hence our reading the following passage. Last time, go to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. Put on the full armor of God <clears throat> so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, think about that. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the spirit. Some of you probably did it already this evening. Oh, but my good friend is an unbeliever. You jackass. Honestly, you know how angry I get with that stuff? Like I, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter doesn't matter how angry I get. Just know that it's righteous indignation. Just stop. Just stop. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. You know, prophecies isn't just forward-looking. It also carries the idea of sound biblical teaching. Prophecy is, is also teaching. Do not despise prophecies. Do not despise sound biblical teaching like you're getting right now. Do not despise it. Look at verse twenty-one. But test everything. Test everything, and hold fast to what is good. Hold your thumb there. Go to first, Hold your thumb. Go to First Peter five eight. I don't mean do this. Geez, that took a while. Was it? Hmm. First Peter five eight. Test everything. First Peter five eight. A little bit more, what? Decisive. A little more visceral. Be sober minded. Don't be intoxicated with the world. Be watchful. First Thessalonians five twenty one just said, "Test everything." How can you test everything if you're a drunk? You can't even stand up straight. I'm talking figuratively speaking. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your what? Faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, you're not alone. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, go back to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says what? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, sound teaching, but test everything. We just saw in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Same thing. Be on the alert. Your devil's prowling about. The devil's prowling around, trying to seek a soul to devour, right? But test everything. Be sober-minded, be watchful, hold fast to what is good. Verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Now, is, this is the beauty of this passage. This is what I love about this passage. It has to be, and you, know, the, you know, like 15 through, or 16 through 18 is so beautiful. This is what I love. There's, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a resolution to it all. There's a, ah, to it all. Don't do that. Now, nah. may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Ah, right? Ah. I don't know about you, but that's like a... It's just like the word just washing over. Just remember that God is the one who sanctifies us. Up here on the board, on the topic of self-sanctification... Do not concoct your own solution to a problem that God wants to solve for you by grace. Go to Romans 12, 12. Romans 12, 12. Do not concoct your own solution to a problem that God wants to solve for you by grace. If he's put you in that position, if he's allowed you in that position, you are there for a reason. It's faith. You want faith. You want to... Abide in faith. Do not concoct your own solution to a problem that God wants to solve for you by grace. Romans twelve twelve. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. One last time with our pair of key principles up here in the board. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. And then secondarily, fiery darts from our enemies are intended to to fracture our faith. Okay, for the sake of um, continuity, let's go back to our primary passage in Proverbs 17 now. Go to Proverbs 17, 1, and then I've got to close here shortly. Proverbs 17, verse 1. This would be very familiar territory at this point. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet then a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. And this is where we've been perched as of late, verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Um, here's where we left off last Sunday, up here on the board, on verse 4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. A person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he accepts. In other words, who do you listen to? It's almost like the blog. Whom do you turn to for love? When the pressure's on, when you're fearful, you know, even something like we talked about last week, loneliness is upon you. Who do you turn to? Who do you ask advice for? from a person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he accepts the greatest advice you're ever gonna get let's face it folks right here this should be in all cases bar none the first place you go when you're having troubles the first place bar none not even close not even close there's no human that has ever lived other than Jesus Christ himself and he's not here with us anymore that could compare to the Word of God in terms of, you know, problem solving, um, looking for advice, for good counsel. We shouldn't even put that kind of um, pressure on our spouse, right? Here's a principle from months back that, that'll that really get you thinking, and we're almost ready to close. You ready? Up here on the board. We have confidence in the thing. We did you just croak? Oh, there it is. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. Think about that. Chew on that. We have confidence in the thing. This is an old principle from months back. If you remember it, we have confidence in the things we fear the most. So is it fair to say that an evildoer? Fears man more than God? I mean, that's who they're going for advice to. Is it fair to say that the evildoer fears man more than God? Take some time to dwell on that this weekend. Go to Psalm uh, 111, verse 10. Psalm 111, verse 10. Psalm 111, 10. What does it read? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Go forward quickly. Psalm 112, verse 1. Psalm 112, verse 1, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who, what? Fears the Lord. How blessed is that person who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And then Paul encourages us on the topic of this wisdom the Spirit's been giving us as of late. Yep, we've got time. Go to Colossians 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. So Paul has some encouragement on this as well before we close. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding Here's one more familiar principle from a message a while back for you to chew on over the weekend up here on the board. Spiritual health and confidence. Remember, the Lord is our confidence. This is from that series. Fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. Fear produces confidence. Confidence in the Lord is a very good thing. Fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. Whom do you fear? If you can't figure that out, if that's like a little bit too convoluted down there in that brain of yours, that soul of yours, then make it practical. Whose advice do you go to, go for? Who do you turn to in time of need? Those are litmus tests of that reality deep down. So again, fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. It produces confidence when it's right. When it's righteous fear of the Lord, as we just read in Psalms, confidence in the Lord is a very good thing. Matter of fact, the person's blessed who has it. So says Holy Scripture. As you read about in this week's blog as well, fear plays an important role and who it is that we turn to when we're stricken by it. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.